Okay, so I'm going to start off today's episode by just saying flat out, we are getting in the weeds a little bit with this one. This is a bit more technical of an episode than perhaps some of the ones we've done, but man, is it super fascinating. You know, I know this this podcast, I mean, the the, the topics are vast. We, there's no, I don't want to leave any stone left unturned. You know, today, the gentleman I'm meeting with, Mr. Ryan Ernest, is the CEO of a bank, a local bank here in Rome, Georgia, where I'm currently living and am from and we just talk about we get it we I talk about how we met and it's kind of a cool story and kind of a random complete completely sort of happenstance how we even came to be in each other's sphere but so I talk about that so that's coming but man we get we talk about leadership we talk about what it's like to be um you know just really the ins and outs of not just what a CEO is but kind of how the financial space and I guess industry, if you want to call it that, work and um, and it's just really cool. And it's it's and because he's a because it's a local um, a, a smaller bank. It's, it was fascinating to me because he talks about how he you know it's much different than running a bank or a financial institution that might be geared towards the the nation. So it allows him and his and you know their bank their culture to be very focused on more of the local, more local communities, which they, he said they do go, they do service multiple communities, but it's still within, you know, a hundred mile radius. Um, so it's really spec special and he's a really fun guy, really enjoyed my conversation with Ryan and I'm so grateful to have him on the show, but let's go ahead. Let's dive in. We do get a little bit technical, but not too much, but we do talk about humanity. We do talk about what it's like to just work with people. Um, and at the heart of everything we do, people and relationships are still, as this conversation will prove, is still the primary focus. All right, so I'm sitting here with Mr. Ryan P. Ernest, CEO of First National Community Bank here in Rome, Georgia, which is, are, are you from Rome, Georgia? I am. So this is both of our hometown. We both share right. the same hometown, which is really neat. Now, if I may ask, so your email signature, I saw the Ryan P. Ernest, and I love it when people put their middle initial. What does the, if I may ask, what does the P stand for? Sure, it's Paul. Paul, so very, very good. Ryan, Paul, my middle name is Lee. Okay. If you share your middle name, I gotta share my middle name, but I love, I, but I, in fact, sometimes when I, and like put together movie credits and stuff and I'm in it, I'll put Austin L. Wiggins. It's just a nice little, dis- I like that. It's very distinguished. It gives a little extra kick, you know. Well, I don't think there's another Ryan Ernest out there. Yeah. So P really is, is, is more like what you just said, more of a differentiator. So, I love uh, it. I love it. And then I've always said that if I became like super famous movie director or something, which I really don't care to do, I've always thought my stage name would be Lee Austin. I thought that'd be kind of a cool stage oh, name. Put my middle name in front of the Lee Austin has kind of a. But anyway, I wanted to talk to you today. And so, first of all, for the listeners, how we met. This is another podcast episode where effectively, really, this is just about other than emails and a phone call, our first time meeting, which is awesome, you know. And, and not and a lot of the, many of the episodes are people that I've known for 15 years or more, my whole life, just about. Versus, and sometimes it's people like yourself who's completely new to in my network, my life. So. Um, so thank you so much for coming on the show and taking time out of your busy day as a you know a CEO. That's you know that's a, a big deal to te- you know to, to dedicate forty five minutes or an hour to a podcast. So I'm very humbled by that. Thank you so much. What's well, my honor, Austin? Welcome. We're glad you're here. Yes, and it's a beautiful, beautiful location. So where are we today? Yeah, we're in our uh, office on Broad Street in so, Rome, Georgia, a building that was built in the early to mid '60s. So in the boardroom here, you'll see a lot of wood and. Yes. You typically don't see this in most modern or newer buildings, but when we moved in here, we preserved the boardroom back to its original form. This is kind of like the gilded age of banking in here, right? It's got the dental crown molding and the wood panels and those types of things. So it's really an asset for us and uh, we really like it. it. It served us well. And again, we moved in, we restored it back to its original shape because it was, you know, a, a throwback to the past and really a compliment of the building. So, yeah, we're very proud of it. Well, I love it, man. I, and it's like even walking in, it's like even just sitting in this boardroom myself, I feel like I feel like somebody special. I'm like, man, I feel like the president or something like this is really, really cool architecture. And Broad Street, 
you know, in itself is just uh, here in Rome, Georgia, for those that aren't from Rome, but Rome, Georgia is actually a fairly, in this region, a fairly well-known town. You know, I'm, I've, yeah. you know, when I travel to Chattanooga, Birmingham, different cities in Tennessee, Alabama, Florida, a lot of people, more people than I ever would have imagined either have been to Rome, have heard of Rome. So that's a very special thing as a Roman, as a native Roman um, that I'm sure you can attest to as well. But um, but Rome Broad Street is a very historic uh, part of really the state of Georgia, not just Rome. And to be here in downtown Rome, you know, on this because the architecture on the street itself is gorgeous. And, you know, so many stories about that. But it definitely just is a beautiful bank, beautiful institution. And I'm at the point where just by walking in, I might make some calls and make this be my bank. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we want you to. Hey, Hey, you know, I have had some issues, honestly, literally about two weeks ago, I was almost ready to be done with the one I have, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> Maybe we'll talk after this, but... Uh, I'll help you make the calls. Austin. Please do. How about that? Please do, because I would probably... Anyway, but... Uh, so, very cool, man. So, th- again, thank you for coming on. We're, we're here, and I, I, I want to look to kind of set the scene a little bit. So, how we met or how this came to be. So, your your wife, actually, at the time, I didn't really... I'd never met your wife. I didn't, you know, obviously didn't know she was married to, to you, and... Um, she had, I had got a phone call. Someone was, had approached me wanting to put together a slideshow for their son's rehearsal dinner, you know, for their wedding rehearsal dinner, um, a, a slideshow to show at the rehearsal dinner for the wedding. And, you know, I gladly accepted the, the, the job and we did that and had a couple meetings with her. And long, long story short, we got to talking and brought up the podcast and she brought your she mentioned you that that because i was talking about i love interviewing people or talking to people i don't really like to call it an interview but just chatting with people with interesting careers interesting hobbies interesting passions and of course she was like well you know you could talk to to, to ryan i mean he's a ceo of a bank and i'm like okay well that's fantastic because you know i really even taxes and things that are you know in the financial world financial planning all that stuff some people might say oh that could be kind of boring that sounds kind of boring but i don't think it is i've i've always been fascinated by anything financial and financial planning and you know even the tax code i'm kind of a nerd about sometimes i don't really get super into it but the thought of having you on i just jumped on it emailed you that day and just you awesome you know emailed right back and we we scheduled this thing up so uh, so yeah, so here we are. That's kind of how we came to be, and uh, yeah. So how did how did the re- the slideshow go? I heard the rehearsal dinner was this past weekend. It was, and it went really well. The slideshow was well received, and you did an awesome job with it. It accomplished everything we thought that it could, and then some. Awesome. And the viewers, our guests at the rehearsal dinner, were just just it was a really nice compliment, nice touch, just the right length. Everything worked out perfectly it showed uh, both kids from basically birth up to the time whereby the storyline went through school college they met and then everything from that point on then how they ultimately got to the night before their wedding and Mm -hmm. it told the story very well so you did a great job with it i tip my hat to you on that and those of you who need that type of service austin's the man he can get you (laughs) squared away but but you made it very easy for my wife and i we're obviously uh, of a generation where we know what we like but we don't know how to get what we like you know how to get what we like. You did a great job with it, and it was well-received. So well, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. I mean, and happy clients, happy me. You know, yep. that's the thing. I just, nothing makes me happier than delivering a product that people are yeah. excited about. So so the first thing I just wanted to talk about, first of all, is like, and I've worked into a little bit of my background. I've worked in corporate America. I've worked in churches. I've worked in, I have my, I've had my own company for now almost three years. So I've worked with several folks over the years that are, directly under CEOs. So I've had some firsthand account with a lot of several CEO, um, more in the technology space. Um, but, you know, with you being a CEO, like a lot of people I don't really know what a CEO is, what a CEO does. It's kind of like in a movie. I get the question all the time. It's kind of like, what does a what does a producer do? And it's, I would think, very similar mm-hmm. to like a producer of a film. You could almost say that. A lot of people, it's like, the producer hires the director. The director is not the head honcho. The producer is the one who gets the money, who hires everybody, and makes it all. So I was imagine it's kind of similar to that. Is you know the big vision. But how would you say so? How would you when someone says what does a CEO even do? What what is that? Well, CEO stands for Chief Executive Officer, and within that job, my role is to develop strategic 
strategy for our bank and then execute that. And just like the analogy you just mentioned, Austin, where the producer then hires a director and the director begins to assemble a cast of characters that will ultimately fulfill the goal of that production, is essentially the same thing we do here. Uh, we have a C-suite, uh, a, a chief suite, so mm -hmm. to speak, and you'll have within that, you'll have an assortment of a chief financial officer whose specific duties are the accounting and financial function of the company. So they're handling that part of your organizational chart. Then you'll have a chief operations officer who is typically going to handle everything from IT to everything that you see. Mm -hmm. And most of what you and all of what you don't see at a bank. And so if you go to your mailbox and you pull a statement out and while it's a piece of paper to you, there's a ton of work that went into making sure when it got there, mm -hmm. two, it's right. You know, three, it presents the information that you need to be able to fulfill that circle, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a customer of, of the bank. Uh, then we have the chief risk officer. This person is someone who will help define risk and control from an enterprise perspective, an enterprise risk management profile. In other words, are you of the risks that you're taking, are they legitimate, are they safe and they sound? And that's what that person's going to do there. Uh, probably one of the most important jobs of the company because you're watching all things, all things are coming through that. So that said, it's a very important part of, of who we are and what we stand for out there. Uh, next would be a chief credit officer, and that individual's job is to watch the credit needs. Are you, you know, is the leverage right? Are you taking enough risks? Keep in mind that bankers manage risk, they don't eliminate risk. So mm -hmm. there are times when things work out, there are times when things don't work out as well, and as a result of that, we're making sure that you're leveraging your shareholders' investment in appropriate manner, taking the right risks, and those types of things. So you can see all these positions that I've talked to you about just kind of work hand-in-hand -hand mm -hmm. to creating a suite of people. Then the last one is that I'll mention in no particular order here is a chief banking officer. And this individual is going to be a part of your team to control the production function, the retail function, when you walk in, the, the pricing strategies, all those types of things there. So uh, I am very fortunate to be surrounded by a group of people who fill those roles, who are very experienced, who understand what they're doing, who are much smarter than me. Mm -hmm. uh, and what what I can do for them is, is to help guide them in collaboration to what that strategic plan is. And and make sure it's executed properly and make sure at the end of the day people have invested their money into the bank in form of capital and my job is really to turning a $1 bill into a $5 bill when it comes down to it. It's like any other investment that you have. If you have money in your 401k plan, you're expecting a return. If you've bought just a, a share of Home Depot stock, you're expecting a return on that mm -hmm. investment. Well, that's my job is, is to make sure that happens. And the tools by which we have to do that with is the human capital. That's your that's your C-suite. And then the individuals that they hire that filter through your organizational chart to make it happen. So, you know, we're in the community banking space, which is different from more of a money center or a regional bank space. So in that, we're much smaller than, than the, the, you know, we're 550 million dollars in total assets so much smaller than some of the bigs that you see uh, out on a regional basis and a national or international basis so we're able to control flow a little bit better you mm -hmm. know, we have a trademark slogan local bank local decisions oh, so that. there's a lot of empowerment that we provide to our team members and our officers to be able to address the needs of very effectively when someone comes in, so we don't have to call to a to a remote office. They're empowered to be able to make certain decisions, and as a result of that, we think that's the secret sauce for us, mm -hmm. and that's what makes us uh, stand out as far as when you compare us to our peers out there. Oh wow! So, and one of the I wanted, I, and one of the corporate jobs I had, I had a CEO. He uh, he told me he said, you know, he said a lot of people say, "Well, you, I wish I was the CEO. I don't have any. I don't have a boss." And he's like, well, I have five bosses. It's the board of directors. Yeah. So, and I don't know how many, if you get, you know, how that works in the corporate 
in the financial space, but uh, you know, it's an interesting relationship you have, same. I'm sure, with the board and what the pressure that must be. Yeah, because you've concept. got people that are just, you know, you've got all these people that are just making sure that, yeah, you know, this stuff is is working like a well-oiled machine. It is. So you know, you'll have a a group of shareholders. Mm-hmm. Let's just say you have 300 shareholders. Not just use that, just for example purposes. They will elect a board of directors on an annual basis mm-hmm. or a staggered term basis. And in this situation, there are uh, 11 directors, 12 directors, and I'm on the board of directors, but there are 11 other ones. And uh, so I work directly for them. And yeah. there's a chairman of the board who is my direct uh, supervisor, so to speak. Uh-huh. And together we uh, set the tone at the table for what meetings, the presentation of materials, those types of things there. And, you know, that collaboration should work very well uh, with your directors. Um, they're all your bosses. Yep. I understand that. Yep. And, and okay with that. And we have a relationship that's 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 a very professional relationship, but it's also one whereby we're all in the investment together. We're both, we're all directors. We all have stock in the same company. So as a result, we all want the same goal. So my job also is making sure that we've aligned everyone's thought processes to where we can go the most efficient way to getting what everyone has invested money for. And that's return on investment out there. So um, having the privilege of working with the ones that I work with now, they're all accomplished businessmen. Yeah. You know, I would hope. I would, I would hope. Absolutely, they are. They yes, are. And, that. you know, the old saying, iron sharpens iron. Absolutely. You know, you spend, you spend a couple hours with them, then you come away, and I think I'm enriched even yes. more than I was when I came. And so that's the big takeaway for me. So that when I call it a privilege, that's what I mean, Austin. I, mm-hmm. I walk away from that meeting with more than I had when I came in because they're pouring into me. And hopefully I'm pouring back out into them. And it's that partnership that really is the rocket fuel for the success of our bank. But really, when you say what well, you've worked with those CEOs, that's really it. The concept is the same, no yeah. matter the industry. Yeah. It's just a matter of what widget are you using yeah. to earn that return on investment here? It's 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 money in financial uh, advice and financial, you know, financial center. Uh, but in a, in the tech world uh, that you mentioned, it might be uh, producing some sort of a, a podcast or producing some sort of medium that, that delivers a message for someone. So, it, but it all works the same way. Board of directors is kind of the boss for, mm-hmm. the, they are the bosses for the CEO, but they're appointed or elected by a group of shareholders. So yep. those are the ultimate very, bosses, just, right? So yes, yeah. it's just a very nice checks and balance system, basically making sure that nobody, just making sure everybody's accountable. There's yep. nobody that's left unaccountable. And I think, and the way you describe that, I mean, that's just, I'm, and you don't, it's just so, so nice to hear that, that you have that. And when you come, it's like everybody's, sounds like everyone's super collaborative. Everybody re- respects each other. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, that's just, a lot of people don't have that. So especially, um, I don't want to. I don't want to, you know, call it the corporate world. But I I know that in a lot of pla- in a lot of places, at least in my experience, it was not a lot. It was that was not super common. And I'm I'm assuming in here. I mean, you sounds like it's a pretty fortunate situation you have. Yeah. And I, I love to hear that because I mean, and that's the way. And I'm kind of the same. I can in a very smaller scale, but uh, people say, well, I like I would love I would like to work for myself. You know, like you, but because you don't have any boss, I have a boss. And I said, well, I do have a boss. Every single one of my clients, you know, they're at the end of the day, they're my bosses, and I yeah. treat it that way. And you know, so it's like everybody has accountability. And if you don't, that's a big problem. I mean, you're not, you're just whether it's your team or just by yourself, you're just not going to last very long. You're gonna, you're gonna break down pretty quickly. You know, because that I love what you said, iron sharpens iron, and that's just so. Kind of like Queen. I watched that documentary, the biopic with Queen, you know, and Freddie Mercury goes off on his own. Yeah. He talks about when he comes back, he talks about how he didn't have the other guys in the band, like, you know, sort of arguing or like giving him that back and forth. Frustrated him at the time, but then he goes off on his own and just flops, basically, and then comes back. So it's, you know, it's the same type of thing. It's like having that is so critical in any environment, any, whether it's the creative space, the tech space, the financial space. So I love hearing that. I love that you guys have that. And that's very good to hear. Well, there's a challenge I think each of us brings to each other. And there's this, we call it fiduciary responsibility, but in our business, but there's a responsibility that you have to challenge each other just to make sure that the right 
aspects of what you're trying to do make it to the head of the table and are the ones you actually ultimately uh, act on and, and put into play. Um, if everyone is agreeing on everything, I think you had a fundamental culture problem at that point. You know, if we're all sitting around agreeing on the same things, then it's highly unlikely that we do. We're all just, you know, patronizing each other in that respect. So, you know, it's okay to disagree. And, you know, you look at it from the perspective of, you know, what are we disagreeing on and how do we turn that around to make it better for everyone? But I think that there are times when you know where there is a disagreement. That's a healthy thing for an organization, only because it's making sure that there are checks and balances, as you mentioned just a moment ago. It would be awkward if I sat at the head of that table and went through the every meeting that I had, whether it was with staff or whether it was with uh, a, a customer, whether it was with a board. Uh, or anyone else that I come through, if we all agreed, then that would be awkward. It would. What message, you know, would that would that send out there? But for the most part, you do agree, obviously, because you're like-minded. Mm-hmm. But we also have to also be humble enough to know that they're we're not always right 100% of the time, and there's going to be a viewpoint that's going to be given or offered that's going to help shape the total outcome, and that's why we have 12 directors. Uh, that represent a body of shareholders so they can make sure that the proper checks and balances are in place or the challenges are there to make sure that uh, you're you're vetting the right information. You know, you're getting the right answers. You're asking the right questions. That's one of the, you know, hiddens is are you really asking the right questions? Mm-hmm. Anybody can have the right answers, but are you asking the right questions? Mm-hmm. That's and so that's true. what's going to really push to the forefront what you're doing, whether we're in the money business or whether we're in the tech business of the businesses that we're both in or whether you're you know a grocery store or a a variety store so very cool and it's actually i was funny i was talking to one of my friends last week who's a financial planner and i never thought about it like this but how money in the banking industry is basically like the equivalent's inventory yeah your money is is basically your invoice like if you were selling lumber or selling anything it's like that's re- and I never thought about it like that, um, and also and then how interest rates both I guess on the on the um, APY side for like a uh, like a savings account versus APR and like a loan um, is those rates are he basically said that are de- largely determined by how much the bank wants or needs money at that time, right. and it could be the local bank or just the country yeah. it's the national bank. It's just supply the and demand. Yeah, it's just supply and demand. And you know, we're coming out of a time post-pandemic whereby there was just a lot of quantitative easing in you know, government-developed liquidity that was in the market. And that's beginning to subside. It's it's going back to where it came from. There, you know, people are using it for uh, for the intended purposes. So you're seeing a lot of that now, the ebb and flow. Now you're starting to see the, the flow back out. And uh, as a result of that, that's what's you know, got some of the turbulence that we see in our markets right now. But mm-hmm. but you're exactly right. It's, it's it's We call it cost of funds. And that would be if you were a grocery store owner and you were stocking your shelves, we have cost of goods. What am I paying for this gallon of milk from the farmer? And then we're all going to turn around and sell it to Ryan and Austin, mm-hmm. you know, when they come in and buy it. And it's the same thing. Um, cost of funds would be the cost of goods. And that is, it's, just, it's, it's cause and effect, you know, supply, demand. It, it's, it's contractually, it contracts, it expands. That's what keeps the business where it is. And, you know, in the supply, demand is really what drives what those rates will be. I love it. And um, which, I don't know, it was just kind of an eye opener. I mean, it seems when you say it, when you say it, it sounds so obvious. But when you just never sit down and think about it as just yeah. a normal citizen, Oh, that's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it kind of opened my eyes a little bit. I thought it was fascinating. And um, so let's kind of change gears a little bit. I want to talk about, I would love to hear more about how you got into the banking industry, but then also just, you know, climbing to the point of CEO. I mean, kind of tell me a little bit about that. I'd love to hear your background. Well, there's a lot of luck involved. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'll start with that and a lot of hard work involved. Uh, I came out of college as a mass communication, you know, broadcast journalist, you know, wrote press releases. That was that was my formal training, you know, produced radio shows, those kind of things, much like you're doing here today. And um, I asked my wife to marry me and, 
she uh, she said, Jeff, you moved back to Rome. And, and I thought, well, gosh, I, that's not really a conditional question, but I guess it was when she answered. So I get back to Rome. I came to, back to Rome, to, and my first job coming back was in a bank because I needed a mortgage originator. And uh, mortgage originators are making home loans, and that's how I entered the banking space. Mm. And uh, just worked through that space. I knew that as I was working in that, it was a very fulfilling and rewarding part of the job. But like you, I was fascinated with the administrative side of the company as I began to look at, okay, how, how are these decisions being made? And early on in my career, I thought to myself, I really have a good job with them, but I would really like to take a look at that job. So I began to do the things that would align me for this job as opposed to that job. And you know, through the advice of a lot of mentors and through the advice of people who were doing that, they took, a, it took an interest in what I was talking about, and I learned from some of the very best out there and uh, began to think in terms of, think in terms and act in terms and produce in terms of the job you want, not the one you have. And that's everything from how you answer the phone to how, if you're early or you're late. Uh, it's how you dress, it's how you act, it's persona, those types of things there. So uh, about midway through my career, I had earlier, midway through my career, had the opportunity to join a organizing group that was organizing a bank that was called Heritage First Bank. And uh, so that was a 2000 and late 2002. Bank opened uh, in December 2002. Um, I was able to uh, stay with that bank all the way through its merger with now First National Community Bank. And uh, that merger was in July of 2021. Uh, I had the opportunity during that time to just work my way through the mortgage area, mortgage department. I spent some time in our compliance department. I was also, you know, chief credit officer of the company, the senior lender at a time. I also produced mortgage loans, commercial loans, car loans, any type of loan. Smaller banks just kind of do it all, right? So, so, but as I got into the uh, um, management side of the company, it was one of those where I really began to get the attention of those who could help me out with that. And in 2008, May 2008, I was named the president of what was then Heritage First Bank. And we went through the the Great Recession, you mm -hmm. know, the next yep. three, four, five, six, seven years, it seems like it went on forever. But during that time, it gave me the opportunity to really prove what I could do to those who are watching and from a succession perspective. And I think everybody who survived that time from the banking business earned a, a, a virtual PhD, you know, because we, we made it through. There was so much going on there and there are a lot of good bankers that are just sitting on the sidelines now that just didn't, didn't come through it as well. And as a result of that, I was among the lucky ones that got in with a group of people who, who believed in me, who allowed me to do it I, I told them I could do. I was able to deliver. We were able to continue to to work through that. And in 2018, uh, January 1st, 2018 was my first day as a CEO of Heritage First Bank. Uh, and then um, a couple of years later, about a year later, uh, I was named the president and the CEO of the bank's holding company. Hmm. And uh, of course, then, you know, we start writing the story of the pandemic and those types of things there. But um, we were looking to grow the company into contiguous markets you know, for, for, for the biggest reason was to you know, add to the, our investment, but also deconcentrate ourselves and that type of thing. So the opportunity came up to partner with First National Community Bank, which is based in a town north and east of here, about 50 miles or so, called Chatsworth in Murray County. And uh, they've turned out to be just great partners for the Heritage First uh, shareholders. And together, we're really doing something special here. And as a result of that, how I got, I was able to um, move through that merger and be named the CEO and the president and the CEO during that merger there, to which I'm grateful for the opportunity uh, and inherit a, uh, a team of people uh, that are just uh, solid gold folks do anything for you anytime uh, and I would for them and we have a team we call them team members we don't call ourselves employees or staff or whatever we try to refer to us as team and we have a team that I think 
can and is and will do something very special in the markets that we serve. We're primarily in the northwest Georgia area, Austin. Mm -hmm. So we're in Rome today, but I can be found in, you know, Ackworth, Georgia, Cartersville, Georgia, Calhoun, Adairsville, Chatsworth, mm -hmm. Dalton, Georgia, you know, Chattanooga, Tennessee, yep. uh, Eton, Georgia. Um, and hope I'm not leaving one of our markets out as I move through that so quickly. But, um, you know, my success is their success. Yeah. So my job is to make sure that that the people who work within our environment are successful because I, I've, I've had the privilege of standing on the shoulders of giants for the last 12 years of my career as the CEO or in an elevated role, president or CEO. Mm -hmm. And even before that, had the ability to have those same giants break off a piece of their knowledge and, and put it on my plate. And so uh, I'm very grateful for that. And uh, so... But, but getting to this role, it's really, you asked me, you know, what we do. I, it, it's really, I'm, I'm, I'm a cheerleader, first of yeah, all. That's you know, a big deal, yeah. In, in, in addition to setting strategy and executing that strategy, but we're cheerleading, too, to make sure that the uh, that our team members have the, you know, if they're going to a gunfight, they don't do it with a knife in their hand. They're going to do it with a, with a, with a gun in their hand, right? <laughs> and, and be able to and be able to win. And we expect that. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, this general expectation that we expect to to win, and and we want to win. So there's a sense of pride and and that comes along with that. But my job is making sure that that culture is instilled, and that it's lived, and it's executed, and it's top to bottom, and the people see it from the outside in, not the inside out. And that's when you've got lightning in a bottle, Austin. It's when you finally capture that. And that's a great feeling when you get it. I love that. So, and when you said break break me off a piece of that or something, all I could think about was the Kit Kat bar jingle for a second. You, said, <laughs> I just, yeah. you said, I heard yeah. you break off a piece of that. I'm sorry, I, I saw a Kit Kat, and now I'm kind of wanting a Kit Kat bar. Well, I probably make that happen. <laughs> we like Kit Kats over here, too. So Hey, there you go. It doesn't, don't we all? I mean, who doesn't like a Kit uh, Kat yeah. bar? Only sick people. Just, dis, just demented <laughs> well, people. I don't know. At least, hey, at least more for us. Yeah, that? more for us. That's true. I like that. So, um, <laughs> but I love that. I love that so much, and um, and it's so nice. I know you said a lot of luck played into it, but I always say, yeah. luck without hard work is a missed opportunity. Uh, absolutely. You know. Yeah. You know, everyone who's successful cannot if. If you, if someone who's successful, I don't care if you're, uh, you know, see a CEO of a bank, a director of a major film, you know, whatever the case may be, if you say you never had a lucky break, you would be lying. You know, oh, gosh, it's yeah. just it, what's important is that you put in the hard work. So when those lucky breaks come, you have the foundation and you know in place where you can jump on and take it. You know, so I, I, that's what I always say to people when they say, well, it was just, but it's true. But, you, you know, and I know you said hard work, too, but that is so critical. And just to I appreciate hard work and people that just care about what they do. And people can tell when you care about the people that you, I know you said like you're a cheerleader, you know, and man, how important that is for your employees and for the bank, other you know, all the people that are involved, if they feel like they from the top down are cared for respected, appreciated. I mean, even at my level, even though I only have a handful of contractors that work, you know, with me and for me, I just try to treat them so well. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it was, I, I keep bringing this up, I've probably brought this up three times already, but I think it was a Steve Jobs quote. He said, I need to probably confirm it was a Steve Jobs quote as many times I've brought this up, but he said, train people and, and treat people so that they could work anywhere, but or, tra or train people and educate people so that they could work anywhere. Equip them, but treat them in such a way where they would they would not want to go anywhere. Absolutely, and that's what you're you're making a universally sound individual there. And what better legacy can you leave than to have been able to make someone else's life better? So, someone asked me, Ryan, would you rather be lucky or good? And I said, I'd rather be lucky. Because I've always believed that the harder you work, the luckier you, you are. And I told my son when we were talking about it, I said, you know, people love, you know, when people love good people. So all you got to do is worry about being good people. It, you know, you can, I'm living proof that I don't have a, you know, I have a graduate uh, degree in, in you know, banking, but I don't have undergrad that. And as a result of that, I had to learn and had to work a little bit harder than someone who did, but it's rewarding when you can and you do. And I think everyone 
loves someone who's willing to dig in. I do. And when I see someone on my team doing that, I want to help them. and I want to push them over that fence. And I want everyone to want my job. Uh, and I'm preparing them for that. Yeah. I don't want them to leave to go take it. But, you know, you, you have to develop. Also, think of it this way. At a minimum, each team member here will spend 40 hours a week. Now, that's a depletable resource. It's, you know, you can't get it back. So the pressure is, from my perspective, is making sure that I have used those 40 hours so that they'll come back for the next 40, that they get something out of it, and do they feel appreciated? Do they feel like they're wanted? Do they feel like they're making a contribution? And I hope that that's what when people leave each day, you know, some days are better than others, but I hope they're not having a bad day. And I think that if someone's going to give me 40 hours of their life, you know, each week, then I got to give them something in return for that. And it's got to be a, a, a productive environment. It's got to be a safe environment, a clean environment, and one where they feel like that their lives are enriched because they were within our environment. And that's, the, that's another responsibility of a CEO or one that I've developed for myself nonetheless. For one that I would want to work work for that's for sure you yeah. know because i mean yeah. and that's not the case for everyone and i've you know i've just i've kind of seen it somewhat firsthand i've never really had like when i when i worked in corporate there was never like a terrible terrible situation but it's just you know like and i think covid i i think with covid especially and you had a lot, all these people this culture shift of working from home and yeah. a lot of ceos i know this was a big deal when back in you know 2013 to 20 18 or so that was something that we always had to go into the office every single day even if what you were doing didn't necessarily require it in the tech space it's not as critical as it might be here or some other industries but it's interesting how covid shifted that and i know a lot of ceos and a lot of you know powers that be have had to rethink how they treat their employees because well first of all they're realizing that productivity is still great even with you know many cases in the current more work from home but i know that, like I feel like a lot of people, a lot of CEOs had to kind of stop and think for a second. Okay, I've got to start treating these people better because, you know, because of that. And I don't What would you say to that? I mean, is from like not just from your perspective with the banking, but more of the global or at least in a national standpoint. Yeah, how think, do you think COVID's impacted leadership? I think you have to hit the pause button and sit back and think, okay, what is important to the employees? To the, to the teams that you've developed, what's important to them, and then how does that relate to making the most efficient use of their time, that resource, to turn over the product, whether it's making a hamburger, or whether that's opening up a checking account, or whether that's selling a rake or whatever. You've got to think in terms of certain jobs have to be in person, right? I mean, there's certain things oh. you have to do in person. Yeah. But you reevaluate it from the perspective of what are the expectations. Of course, they're going to be, you know, you almost could put age tiers out there, you know, because yep. you know, I have a son that's 23 years old, and he loves working from home on the days he can. Uh, for me, a little bit older than he is, obviously, I don't know that I could work from home. I need that detachment from those two environments. And the younger people like his age and they all, all talk about that it just I see that it's very important for them it's not important for me but it's very important for them and you try to make that happen for them and we have homebound employees that work here at the bank they don't have forward-facing jobs but they have supportive jobs and they are as equally as important as is the forward-facing team member because they support that part. And in our environment, you have to know who your customer is. Well, the homebound employee team member is going to be supporting that forward-facing person. And so that's their customer. And then that forward-facing is Austin is his or her customer. Mm -hmm. So if you get it right, then if you understand that, that's when it begins to fire on all cylinders for you. But but to get back out on macro perspective, as you ask, how did COVID do that? I think it forced people who do what I do for a living to sit back and think, okay, what's important? Mm -hmm. How do we get what's important? And what resources and tools do I have to get what's important? And I may have to think a little bit differently than I did three months earlier or a year earlier because the world has changed and the expectations are different. So I think the mature leader is going to sit back and think, okay, 
how do I how do I work this now? And and what does it really look like? And do we make sure we've got all of our regulations, everything's right there? Because you got a lot of a lot of things. We have a homebound worker that, that that's that's that they have access to your systems and are are all of your IT plugins plugged in just right, for example. But I think that what you do as the CEO is just, again, it's just to sit back and, and reimagine the company from the standpoint of what's going to work best for the greater good for everyone. Because at the end of the day, you're looking to become continue as a going concern, and it takes profitability to do that. So how do you, how do you get to that part? And the road is not as straight as it used to be. So you're going you're gonna to travel around and bend around a, a mountain or two. But I think the mature leader is one who's going to understand and embrace that and be able to be flexible to that end. And one thing I heard somebody say years ago, it stuck with me, he said, um, and this was at a corporate event or a corporate conference, the gentleman said, what, what got you here today is not necessarily going to get you where you're going tomorrow. Yeah. So it's like you always have to be adapting, and 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 I, if you don't adopt that mentality, really, I mean, in, no matter who you are or you know or what you're doing, that's you know that's a pretty profound statement that a lot of like even like think about Blockbuster for an example, right? I mean, they had the opportunity to acquire what basically is today Netflix. Yeah. And then they decided, no, we don't want that because they were it just scared them. They didn't feel ready, and then so Netflix because they. They felt that, you know, we want we what we've got is good. We've we're ultra successful. We're blockbuster, massive name. You know, we're what we're doing is working. We're gonna stay here. We're not gonna choose to take this path of ultra adaptation. Netflix goes about goes about its way and they you know, and the rest is history. Yeah, think about the banking business, the industry. To fifteen years ago, is, is as much as is as, as long as ten years ago. You didn't have, you know, the advent was not as proliferated out there. It wasn't, it wasn't as widely accepted as, as internet banking. Oh, yeah. You know, so think about it. We've got a, if you have a smartphone in your pocket, then you've got a bank branch in your pocket. Which is wild, yeah. So you have a bank branch in your pocket. You can control everything on that, on that smart device that you could do primarily, not all, but to be fair, most of it, you can do that from your pocket and not see someone. So... A bank our size has to embrace that from the standpoint that had we not taken that on and been proactive and aggressive in developing what we call our e-bank, mm. then we would be blockbuster today. So that is so true. But so but true. it's but it's but but every bank has done that. It's not that we came up with some sort of secret sauce here and, and were able to serve it. Every bank did that. Now there's some banks who didn't, and there's some banks who were slow to market, and I think they suffered because of that. I think that I've always of the opinion we approached it back in the day because I was part of that team that did that. Was that someone said, well, you as a small bank, you know, we had officers, uh, you know, the small bank, you know, we have limited resources, so we really can't make it look like a money center bank. I said, whoa, 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 hang on a second. The technology is there. It's already scaled for us. It's very affordable. We, our bank's website can look as good, if not better, than the Chase Bank, mm -hmm. J.P. Morgan Chase website. It can look, it, it's got the same, it's the same technology. So. It's the same technology we're buying into. It's just a matter of do you want it and do you understand how to how to leverage it, and how to use that. And I say that our website could be better because then we're able to portray as our website does, local images. Uh, it's more of a local flair, that type of thing. It's not as canned and as stale. So I always thought that you could develop your e-bank from a perspective that was just it was just to the imagination of the person that was doing it. And as a result of that, it was really sky was a limit at that point because the technology was 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 very uh, affordable, and the entry to that was really just the cost of the imagination to do that, and the intellectual property that was developed and/or spent to do that. So, I think that that's how we were able to stay up with all the banks and and be able to not be net or not be uh, blockbuster. Yes, and. And, you know, that's something even like with me and my business, obviously at a much smaller scale. But, I mean, I'm constantly, you have to, and I, I sort of, I try to adopt that. It's like, it's like where are people, what are, what's trending in the world? And you're, so, what you need, to, when you're developing a service or develop, developing a product, 
you're not it's going to be much harder to find success if you're creating something that where the, the where the people aren't it's like where are the people where are the people that you you know create a service or product that goes with the current versus trying to go against it yeah you know just got to innovate in a very effective manner and you almost have to be able to be able to see out what's going on to four, six, 10, 15 years from now, and then backfill to where you are today. Mm -hmm. If you don't do that, then you've missed the most golden opportunity because you're trying to create something someone will want and endure the test of time with mild uh, uh, augmentations so that it's still relevant. Yeah, and then I heard another, something else somebody told me one time that just stuck with me was excellence drifts. Yeah, you know, because people are like, oh, we've reached it. We've reached. We're excellent. Our all of our customers are happy. We're alt. We're mega profitable right now. Let's just kick back and relax. You know, they'll, yeah. you, you tend to think that, but it's like, no. as soon as you reach that point, the next day, the next day, the next day, you're drifting farther away from where you were. Yeah. At that point, so it's like, I just I'm so fascinated by that and just human culture and because you guys are working with so like in the corporate world you have B two B and B two C. You have business to business you know, interaction, and then you have business to consumer, like Apple, you know, to, well, I think about buying an iPhone versus Apple um, working with um, a hospital for whatever reason, you know. Mm -hmm. So, like, you guys have that. So, you're working with, you have, you work with businesses and consumers. That's right. So, what's that like? What's, what's that dichotomy like? And, you know, to especially, you know, what, what's that? uh, It's not as different as one might think. At the end of the day, there's a consumer. And that consumer has a need, and we're trying to fulfill that need with the products and services that we offer. So a business will have specific needs. Sure, they need capital to build a new building that will house their operations, and we, we you know, put put that in place for them. And that's a business. But that's but but the consumer wants to build a house to put their family in. And protect their family, right? So it's exact same thing, just a different. It's not even. You know, there's not really even a fork in the road there, Austin. It's hmm. really just a mindset of okay, what 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 is the ultimate goal? What do they need? And are they a for-profit business, or are they? And that's a business or commercial relationship, or are they consumer or non-business? And that's the consumer side of it. But both of them are consumers. They have the same ultimate want and needs. Just a matter of what is the end game? Are they trying to? to achieve and that product is matched up with them to make sure they get to where they are. So it's more of a conveyance, but there's not much difference in the two. As long as you understand from a bigger picture perspective, a more macro approach, at the end of the day, businesses are non-natural people. I mean, they're not nat- they're not natural people, I should mm-hmm. say, uh, but they are run by natural people. So they're consumers. Yeah. You and I are consumers. Uh, I know that when I get a, a fee on something, hey, I'm a consumer too. So we approach it here if we're if we're charging a fee for a service. So we better make sure that that service delivers what it's supposed to because it's costing someone their hard-earned monies. And I'm a consumer, so how do I feel about paying that fee? Mm-hmm. And we always have taken that approach. I always, I always start from the other side of the table. I always put myself as the team member if we're in a in a internal meeting. How are they going to receive this? Or if I'm the customer, how would I like it if I were charged that fee? Would I understand what that really does for me? How does that How does that make my relationship with, with this yeah. bank better? So, uh, but again, it boils right down to consumer behaviors and consumer patterns as to what are you trying to ultimately get to and the products and services that we offer are the conveyances for that. Well, and I love, and even when I left, the, I love that you say that because even when I was kind of out of leaving the corporate world at that time, I remember there was this big movement to we're no longer really thinking B2B or B2C. It's more human to human. Yeah. Because it touches on it. We're all basically, at the end of the day, we're all just people, you know. So I know, I don't know really where that went because that was, that big idea was kind of in development when I was getting out. But that's very similar to what you're saying. It's like there's, there is differences, but at the end of the day, we're all just people. You know, we all have emotions. We all make decisions based on emotions and, you know, and even at, at pretty much all levels. Um, and then your comment about, you know, putting yourself on the other side of the table. Michael Jackson was famous for doing that. That's something I've heard. He was one of the first or few artists, musicians at the time. He would, instead of when he was making music, 
he would not just listen because then you go to these nice production music production studios they got the best speakers on the market state-of-the-art technology and they're going to listen to as the music is being produced on these speakers because it's awesome you know and um big name michael jackson like okay he's going to be listening but what he would do is he would take a stereo like just a consumer like a stereo you would get it like the walmart or 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 whatever store was at that time and listen to the songs on there people thought he was crazy he's like what are you doing he's like my my fans aren't listening to it on this system they're listening to it on this radio on this boom box and what a at that time i just remember people were just what i've read about this is just so such a common sense move but man how important that is yeah you know you, you got to go to where they are and they be in the consumer and we're both consumers so if someone's going to show me a lawnmower and they want me to spend a thousand dollars on a lawnmower they're probably going to come and cut my grass with it because i want to see what it looks like on my grass not not their grass so what you're just talking about with michael jackson uh is exactly exactly right you just got to be able to see it from their perspective and only then can you really fine-tune exactly the delivery of your product whether it's no matter what it is consumers whether it's you know something's tangible or non-tangible They've got to be able to picture themselves with it. And, and the person who's delivering, it's got to understand what it looks like for them. And one of the most effective ways I've been able to do that is, is to put myself in the role of, of the person who I'm interacting with every way, every day, just because they're going to be the ultimate judge on whether I've got to stay in power, not me. I can yeah. work hard, but if, these, if, if if I'm not getting the response, the positive response and the feedback, then I can be replaced in a matter of seconds, really. So the, there's a constant duty of care to making sure that you're caring for those who are making your lifestyle possible. I love it. Such a, I, I just, I love that. And, and, Leadership is just such and something generally that I've been uh, just as the years have gone by, just as I learn more about it and speak to more people and leadership positions. It's just I always learn something. I always walk away with every conversation learning at least three things I've never or more that I've never even considered. Um, so I, just, I love this conversation. And thank you again so much for talking with me. And we're getting a little bit close to time here. So I wanted to kind of end it with one conversation just about like, I always, I call it eyebrow poppers. And that's not something I still, I can't claim that because that was something I heard from somebody else. But like, when you have conversations with people, just casual conversations, you know, even at a restaurant or something or a family reunion, what are some of the things that you say about the banking industry that people just are like, oh, you know, they, their eyebrows go up. They're like, oh, I didn't think about that. I never would have thought about that. You know, what are some of these things that you've experienced in your day to day just talking with people, you know? Oh, gosh, I would say primary how regulated the, the industry is. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing, obviously, because uh, you're dealing with someone's money. Yeah. Uh, but I think that uh, eyebrow poppers, uh, the, the tight regulation, and everybody's heard about bank regulators. Those aren't bad guys or bad ladies. Those are just folks who are making sure that the system is safe. But the amount of work, that's an eye-popping thing there. I think that... Um, you heard the old uh, saying, you know, you know, we're working banker's hours today. Um, I'm sure there was such a thing as banker's hours that generated that saying. But banking is, it, it's, it's a 50-hour, it's a, it's a 60-hour a week job uh, for me, nonetheless. And, you know, even more than that, actually. But, but it's my hobby, so I, this is what I do. This is what I like to do. But that's not popper. I think that people think that there's uh, this... Um, you know, we work for, you know, 30 hours a week and we're in, you know, air conditioning in the summertime and heat in the wintertime, those kind of things. And we are. But there's there's a deeper element to that to make it to make it work and make it work right. So I think that uh, the amount of hours, the regulatory burden, um, what goes into running a, a bank is another eyebrow popper. And I'll end with that one just because there's so much that goes on at a bank from the standpoint that you have to have an IT staff that's watching every single thing that's coming through your systems because that one that you're not watching could be the one that could drain someone's account or some of those kind of things. So you have to take that very, very seriously. So some of the things that it takes to run a bank when people ask me, well, how does that happen? Well, we do this, this, and this. Well, why do they do that? You know, And they begin to ask the question. That's the eyebrow popper there is so much more in the banking business that's below the surface on that iceberg 
than is above the surface. We're not just ATMs and uh, uh, e-bank or a deposit or a car loan or mortgage, those kind of things. But to service that, to do that, there's so much that goes into making sure in making that product available and to making it relevant and to making it safe and sound. And that might be a, uh, the last eyebrow popper as to how much it takes, what, what effort it takes to get just what we all might think that's easily done. Mm -hmm. Well, and you guys, I mean, you're engineers. I mean, you're financial engineers. You're money engineers. I mean, you have to, there's so many numbers and mathematics and just with the, the rates and everything. It's like, you guys are engineers, Yeah. you know, at the end of the day. And uh, there's definitely a lot, you know, just like somebody might you think about, you know, you drive a car every day, but just think about how much, how many years and years, I mean, you know, over a hundred years of innovation. And you talked about, you know, on the standing on the shoulders of giants. I mean, just think about Ford or Chevrolet or anything. I mean, it's like, just imagine, it's the same thing. It's like you're driving a car every day, but it's not, it's for you. You get in the car and go to work. You get in the car, go to the grocery store. But it's very similar. It's like you, you withdraw money out of your bank account. It's just, you know, every piece of that, you know, I can't even imagine, you know, what all goes into that. And I just, I, I think that's fascinating myself. But, uh, and I, one, so I said that was kind of the last thing, but the, really the last thing I want to talk about was just really quick, most of my, I guess most of my listeners probably are, there might be some teenage listeners, but most of them are probably parents, mm -hmm. you know, um, much like yourself. But what, what's the one thing you would tell a parent or someone, you know, uh, an adult, maybe they don't have kids. Like if you could do one thing today, like just after this podcast, pull over your car and do this thing. You know, what would be one thing that you would tell them to do, either for themselves or for their kids? Let's say they have a kid graduating high school. What's like just one easy, easy thing they could do that would make a world of difference? Subscribe to your podcast. <laughs> well, the second thing. Okay, the second, the second thing. thing. Oh, okay, the second thing that they could do, invest in people. Invest in people. Create the future for people. Good things happen to good people. Just be good people. That's all. It, it, things begin to happen for you when when you get that right. Then things begin to happen for you, and you create opportunities. But no one gets anywhere on their own, and we all have to have some help. And I think that investing in people, believing in people, and just being nice to people, you know, helping them through that type of thing. That's the one thing I would say, and that's one thing I've told my son. That's what you want to do. That's that's going to get you farther than any degree. The degree gets you the interview, gets you into the door, sure. But what, what, I'm living proof of this. Mm -hmm. I, you know, who's going to hire a mass communication major in the banking business? Well, you get your foot in the door because somebody needed someone who would work on a straight commission basis to begin with. And you prove yourself and, you know, you eat what you kill. You know, and uh, so it, that, that, that makes you work harder and and you begin to develop those work habits. And that's how it begins to mushroom for you and, and, and develop for you. But being nice to people and doing the right thing. I mean, there's that, it seems like that's an odd thing, but but it's 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 the thing. And if you, you know, if you keep, you know, that the thing, if you keep the thing, the thing, there you go, then. All boats rise with that tide. So that's the one thing I would say is just invest in people. Yeah. And that's, well, I just think being kind is the, one of the most underrated, under, underestimated things you can do just in any, in any capacity, in any, any profession, any walk of life, you know, it's just the big kind. It's like yeah. such a, this is, it's the return of investment and that is, you know, in, you know, insurmountable. It's the for easiest sure. thing that you can do. It's the easiest thing that can be done or you can do for someone, but yet. It's the one thing that, unfortunately, with these days, it's the it's the most distant thing. It's becoming that. So, um, I think you separate yourself from the pack when you do those things these right. days. And it's just doing the things that we all grown and growing up we were taught, just executing what you know. I love that. And then from a more pragmatic standpoint, say you got a parent or a teen graduating a high school, going into college. They've been saving, let's say they had $10,000. They, they were really smart. Say their grandparents give them just a nice graduation gift. They were really smart and they saved 10 grand growing up, working the yard, what lawn, mow, you know, mowing the lawn, whatever it is. What did they do with that money? If they had one thing to do, you know, 
graduating high school, approaching and entering adulthood, what do you do with that? You leverage that money by sitting down and having a very mature conversation with your with someone who you trust, what your mom, with your dad, your uncle, your best friend, whatever, and determine what it is that you want to do. Not what someone wants for you, but what you want to do. And you use those monies to get yourself in a position to be happy for the rest of your life. Some would say go to college with that. Uh, I would say never stop learning. Uh, go to uh, enroll in classes and test the waters just to see. Uh, if, it's, if that's not for you, then pick out what that investment looks like and seek the advice so you don't squander it, but seek advice or partners who can help you with, with doing those types of things there. But if you had, if someone gave me $10,000 and I was 23 years old, uh, the, the, the mature thing to do would sit back and think, to myself, okay, how do I use this to create better conditions for me and my family going forward? And what do I really want to do? What is it I really want to be? And I think a lot of people are pressured into being a, a, a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or a, or a banker or a, uh, something, a professional athlete. And I think that's if it's not what you want to do, then you've already lost the game. And that $10,000 is immediately at risk because it means nothing to you at that point. But if you use those funds, and the example would be to enroll in classes because you want to be a, a doctor, then you use those funds to you know, begin to, to take the, the necessary tests and, and get in the, the track that's going to put you best in the position to get into medical school, then yeah, that, 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 it, it's, it's an enabler at that point for you, right? It's not the disabler that a lot of people see it to be, and, and so that's what I would say do with it. I love that. Well, thank you, man, so much. And I want to, that, that does it. We're just literally right at time here. So I want right. to close this up. And thank you so much, man. I know I've said it three times already, but <laughs> just so delighted that you, you know, decided to come on the show and yeah. just talk with this crazy old fool on the other side of the table that just loves people and loves talking to people. But man, any, you have any other just closing thoughts? No, just thank you for the privilege of joining you today and hope that I can give your listeners and subscribers something to take, take away from this and, and just appreciate your interest in me as well. So it's been an honor to be with you today, Austin, and thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much.